It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seaboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to seabock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Trip Braden of Strategic Performance Partners. Trip's an executive coach, leadership team advisor, and the 2021 one of the top 30 global diversity and inclusion influencers. Additionally, we have Sarah Smith-Berry of Frigo Consulting. Sarah is a psychometrician, veteran advocate, consultant, and modern stoic. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach, and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. I also want to mention before we start, Virtual Communication Mastery. It's vcmastery.com for the new profit model for the remote workforce. That's vcmastery.com. Tom, over to you. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And welcome, everybody, uh, to our I.O. Fest uh, as we need to discuss how do you become a world-class I.O. in today's changing world. And today we want to specifically talk about how do you study results to hit the ground running and to be a hero with organizational decision makers? And, and Jeremy, a great discussion uh, last night on the CBOC happy hour uh, with Dr. Patty. Uh, she brought up some excellent ideas about research. Uh, do you want to maybe just give us a recap of what was discussed uh, last night? Yeah, so we had, we had our, our monthly Zoom happy hour and Dr. Patricia Delgado, Patty, she... Uh, she actually has a seminar coming up, and if anyone's interested in that, it's called uh, the Bridgeify Group. If you look that up, or just it's Dr. Patricia Delgado sent her a, a LinkedIn message. She has a seminar coming up on how to be a research trans- research translator, and what we talked about was really we we got into some of the uh, the really cool nerdy science things that we geek out about, which is looking at these peer reviewed scientific studies. Um, and how to do it, but also how to do that to bring to the organization uh, really without, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of work. Once you get used to doing it for people who aren't used to doing it, you can fly through and skim through these, these there's so many scientific studies out there and you can fly through and you can uh, highlight, you can take notes, but you can start to compile real solutions that organizations can use and real solutions that organizations can use without just throwing darts here and there. And Patty mentioned something good where she was working with someone who was a trainer and this trainer contacted Patty because what Patty does is she'll actually, she gets hired. If somebody has an initiative they want to put put on the table, she'll actually go and do the research before they put it on the table and show whether it's a good initiative. And also now when they, in order to get that buy-in, 
she'll have all this data, all the, all the, the scientific study results to show, hey, look, this is a good initiative. Here's how it plays right into the business object- objectives for the organization and for this particular goal. And here's, here's why it makes sense. Instead of just trying things out, she mentioned that she was working with a trainer who she said, well, how did you put your training together? And they said, well, I've been in the field for a while, so I just decided to put something together, which, you know, could, we, you know, as IOs, um, we, we have, uh, uh, we, don't, we don't like that too much because we like to look at the data. So that was what the session was about last night. And she had a, an obligation, but she was going to try to jump in. So we hopefully will be able to see Patty at one point, even if she's just able to, to listen in. So that was a recap, Tom. Thank you very much for that, Jeremy. Uh, Trip, let me go to you next, because how important is research to decisions that the leaders in organizations are making? Uh, you know, partially because you show me two sets of numbers and I can, I can show you two different solutions, uh, one in you know, total opposite directions. So how much does this research come into play with decisions that organizations are making? Well, thanks, Tom. That's a, a great question. I, I actually would take a different tact on it to start with, and I know we'll go through the rest as we go through the rest. Uh, one of the things I suggest to the people in this room is this is a golden opportunity to get to know other people in the organization. So I came up with a list of people you might want to present your findings to and share with people. And what it does for you is two things. It's, it's kind of a marketing effort on one level to help people understand the value IO brings to the organization but it also allows you to start establishing key relationships across the organization. So I kind of came up with seven different groups you could share your findings with if you just customized a little bit about what you said to each of them. So I'd like to get people in the room to think, okay, how do I put some of this together? Especially if you're, you're at the beginning of your career and you're trying to get a little bit more visibility, but it also gives you an opportunity to do some things that you might not normally get to do in your career, but it also identifies you as what I call a high performer. So I think those things are all things everybody in this room need to be concentrating on. Uh, so without further ado, I came up with partnering with your executives. So you do a presentation for them when you get this report. You, you sit down and offer them. This is one of the things you can provide them as value. Partnering with your direct reports. Some of us in this room have people who report to us. So put something together and specifically talking about that with direct reports. Partnering with coworkers. So if you're trying to build a name and a brand inside the organization of what you're doing inside or outside, partnering with coworkers, partnering with managers. Now, here's where people get a little stuck. But I tell you, having done it for years, it's a great way to build strong relationships outside the organization for your organization. So let's go with partnering with your customers. So look at that from the point of view of how can I do that? Second, partnering with suppliers. You know, go out and talk to your customers and suppliers, because if you ever have to do research, you're going to want to have that Rolodex available to you so you can talk to those people. And the first time you call them shouldn't be when you need something. So consider that. And then even consider partnering with your industry or competitors. So you can put this program together specifically at a trade show, uh, a, an event, you know, uh, even at one of these where you want to share your findings. But this is a way of helping position what you do in a way that's different than everybody else out there that's doing it. And it creates significant value both for your career and the company's brand. So there's a, a big win there. But those are the seven things I came up with. As you think about where can I present these findings, uh, I've done it to all these groups. And, I, and it's, it's gave me a pretty good reputation early on in my career 
And as I as I've risen in my career, my roles get bigger, even more important because they get shorter. <laughs> as you do a presentation for an executive, it might only be 20 minutes for the executive team. Uh, for your coworkers, it might be an hour because you're going to have a discussion. Uh, decide how you want to format it. But be, this this is a, a critical element uh, to promoting your field and the value your field brings to your organization, this field. And, and that's something you want to consider. So that's what I came up with as a, as a kickoff thought as we start thinking about what we're going to do. But who is importantly, who are we going to do it for? And thank you, Tom. Oh, you're very welcome, Tripp. And that's great advice. Uh, Sarah, let me go to you next because, you know, I get this feeling that you're using research in the work that you do and it's benefiting people. So could you tell us, you know, a bit about what you're doing? Thanks, Tom. And good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Sarah Smithberry for any of you who are not familiar with me, but um, as far as using research in my work, of course, but really, Tom, where I start out is asking questions. I always start there. And I know that sounds a little bit reductive, but the reason I do that is this. At the end of the day, I get hired because people want to work with me. And the reason they want to work with me is because I hear them. People want so much to be heard. So if they have a problem or a challenge or something that's going on with them, the first thing I don't do is I don't pitch them anything or I don't try to convince them of anything because if you try to do that, you're gonna get a door slammed in your face because you're gonna look like a know-it-all. So I immediately start by asking questions about what's going on um, and see as an outside consultant, this is the most important part because it really, and this is something we're gonna talk about in weeks to come, establishes a psychological contract with the person that you're working with. And I really feel like that's the basis of any good um, communication. And when it comes to communicating the value of research, honestly, the most effective thing that I've learned is presenting, say, things like case studies that I put together myself with people I work with. I will send off a case study to someone in the same industry of someone I've worked with in the past, and I know they're not going to read it. They're not going to read the case study. Nobody has time to sit down and read a case study unless you're an I.O., right? But by sending it, it gives a little bit of credibility to whatever message or email I'm sending out, and then they're more likely to have a conversation around whatever challenge that they're, they're dealing with because they realize, oh, she's already worked with someone in the past who had a similar problem. So... You know, I think when it comes to evaluating research and, and looking at high level initiatives and that sort of thing, that's all well and good when you're working internally. But if you are going to strike out on your own as an external consultant, it really comes down to the ability to understand your client's problem, understand that either you have the experience to solve their problem or you don't, and you know where to look to find those solutions. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Jeremy, uh, do you want to jump in on that? Uh, the value of research or, you know, how, you know, you talked a little bit about the skills of getting that research done. Uh, so let's open up your mic and get you in on this. There we go. It's on. And just to share with the group, anyone is able to raise their hands. If you raise your hand, please come up to the stage and we'd be more than happy to hear from you. Uh, take questions, but also, your group, hear your expertise and what you have to say as we continue on. So it's I'm, I mentioned in the, um, in the in the happy hour last night something that I do, and I think this I like this example because it's very practical and it puts to light what what good can be done 
for business objectives, for strategies, and for the people working in organizations. And it's a very simple example. Uh, I was working with a, a hospitality company, and they were having a, it was in the middle of nowhere, having a huge problem with uh, retention and even getting people hired. They needed to pay their bottom line was they needed to pay their servers more. Then and their wait staff, they just they had to be paid more, but they couldn't pay them more. The only real option that they had um, to deal with the turnover that they were thinking, and this is a, uh, a very um, uh, a, a company that was slow to move, let's, let's put it that way, was, well, maybe we can just bus people in from, from nearby cities and, and to replace the people that are leaving because they're not getting paid much. So I went and I looked at just a couple of different studies and I, came, I found two, two quick studies. Uh, I found a lot, but these are the ones I singled out. So if the company can't pay the wait staff more, how can the wait staff still make more money? Wow, that's a pretty good for for an IO for anyone in an organization if you can figure that out. And it's interesting because it's great problem solving. So I found these two studies on how, um, and, and these were straight up statistically significant results on how you can make more get more tips as a server. The one result was. If it's going to be nice the next day, if you're a server, say, it's, it, it's supposed to be really nice tomorrow. I hope you enjoy your day. Or whatever next day, if it's on, on Friday, if it's going to be nice on Friday. It's supposed to be nice this weekend. I hope you enjoy your weekend. And that increased server tips by, it, it was over 50% in, in the study. And it's very simple. And they, they determined that it was because it interrupts the fear response. It temporarily interrupts our, our natural fear response as humans of what's coming up in the future. And that allowed them to reduce their fear, open up their hearts and their wallets, and provide a better tip. The other thing was simply allowing, as Sarah was saying, we don't need to feel heard and understood. The study results showed that servers who simply repeated back the order rather than provide excellent five-star star service meaning here's your water, I'm here, I'm at your beck and call. They, the ones who simply repeated back the order, it was a, over 30% increase in tips. So that's all they did. They just repeat when, when, I, when the, the customer would state their order, the wait staff would repeat back the order. 30-something percent increase in tips. So those were real things that we could try out because we're looking at evidence-based solutions in the organization. So I was able to bring that to the organization. And l let me, let me ask, you know, how easy is that training? How much time does it take for that training for the wait staff? It's a 15 minute stand up meeting. Hey, by the way, repeat back exactly the order that you get, that you got. And also the next day, it's supposed to be nice. Tell them it's supposed to be nice this day and have a nice day. That's a, that's a two minute training. <laughs> it, it can be a two minute training. And you know, we track this and the results, it, it increased the server's tips and it helped with retention, obviously. So that's, you want to talk about adding value to an organization just by looking up um, and spending some time going through a couple studies, getting excited about it because, we're, you know, getting passionate about what the possibilities are and being able to bring that to the table. So it's very exciting, the possibilities. And as I mentioned last night too, there are hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of studies that are not being study results and studies that are not being used, that nobody's looking at. And Patty made a good point last night. If you find a study you like, if you find some research that you're into, feel free to contact whoever wrote the research. These people will be more than glad because there's universities, 
there is so much funding that goes into this, hundreds of thousands of dollars into these studies that nobody reads and nobody looks at. And if you've, if you've done a thesis or a dissertation, you know that the people who read your thesis or dissertation are you, your committee, and maybe one of your parents, and that's it. So if somebody contacts you and says, hey, I'm really interested in your research, you, you'll, you'll take that call. So feel free to, to connect and to, to build that momentum and how much even more of a hero can you be if you go back to the organization and they have a question about the research and you say, you know, I just had a call with the, the people who ran this study. Let me call them back. I'll get your question answered. Over to you, Tom. Uh, well, I was just wondering, Jeremy, was that a one-off or did you um, monetize that research and take it to other organizations? The, so that actually brings up a point. So that was that was a one-off with that particular organization, and that stayed there as we get busy with other things. Uh, but the, the, the interesting, I, I can't believe I forgot to mention, the interesting part of this research, so this research was done with a national restaurant chain, and it was done with, I think, 19 sites, so 19 restaurant locations. And they monitored, they monitored this through also through through customer feedback and through surveys of those particular wait staff. And they backed it up with supervisor training, which we all know is very important for the follow-up. So it was, a, it was a very complete study and a lot of money went into this. And with this dramatic increase in tips, the, the, it ran for, they collected and ran data for 12 months and after, and they trained and did this. This is what blows my mind because of we look because of all the red tape and everything that we that we see in corporate. The company decided to stop the training after the study was done. With those results, the company it blows my mind. Blows my mind. But I wanted to add that. So any IO in the room right now could um, <laughs> take that idea, hit the ground running, and be a hero in the hospitality industry where right now they're having difficulties actually getting people to come to work. Yes. And there, there is so much difficult. We're, we're seeing in, in the resorts industry, we're seeing um, parks that are being, having different hours that are being shut down for an entire day that are having, you know, you look at the, uh, the amusement parks, you have entire sections that are cordoned off because, well, not some, we're back. I mean, I'm talking about free labor day, you know, right. So everyone's back to school. So parks are generally closed. Um, those are the kinds of things that, um, that the hospitality industry, every industry, um, in, in the, in the service industries are facing. So yes, absolutely. Everyone can be a, a hero and it doesn't take a lot of time and it's a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> thanks Jeremy. Uh, Trip. with that in mind, you know, when, when I hear, you know, you could be a hero in an organization to me, it's about going in and taking care of those issues, those pain points, maybe. So especially with the remote workforce, you know, becoming a, a major issue in organizations, where are the hero roles in IO? What roles are, are, you know, CEOs, organizational leaders going to be looking for the, the IOs to come in and play that hero role? Well, I think the most logical, there's a couple of concepts. One is collaboration, obviously, and remote collaboration being one of those critical elements that organizations have to do. Even informal team structures, helping people better understand what's going on in the organization and how to get the best dynamics from that, either motivationally or as well as understanding the challenges that people are facing remotely. 
Uh, the other concept that I think Jeremy alluded to as well as Sarah, I think is this idea of an accelerated learning curve. Uh, when you start to think about the fact how quickly you can change a conversation specifically because you're doing something different, just-in-time training is going to be a big trend for the next five years probably uh, as people continue to try to figure it out. So there are opportunities to find information like this. And, and like Jeremy, in, in less than 10 minutes, has changed the whole temperature of the room. And now he has an opportunity to, to go further with that person and have a different conversation. Same thing with Sarah by asking questions. She's able to get people to open up to them. Uh, I think it depends on what your relationship is. But I think the, the remote workforce is a great opportunity for I.O. The question will become is how do they translate it into a actionable item coupled with addressing some of the bigger concerns of executives, including employee engagement and retention. Uh, the act of training and development alone re-engages workforce, but the accelerated learning that Jeremy shared certainly makes a difference. And, and Sarah, I think that's one of the things Sarah is probably very good at is understanding how to read the culture where she's in to have a better idea of what might need to be done or what she can bring out of her toolbox to help people. Uh, Linda Ann, welcome to the, to the, the stage. It's great to have you back up here. Uh, your thoughts on what you've heard so far. You know, this is a little bit of a different um, topic for me, so I'm a little bit out of a fish out of water on it. But I think that there's when you're talking to especially, you know, any executives or leaders, they always want to know. They always want something to be validated for them. So they want all their decisions to be validated. And when you can um, provide them with really sound data, um, I think it makes them gives you credibility, but it also makes them feel better about their decisions. And, and you know that when you're working with them, you want them to feel good about their own decisions. Um, that's about all I have to say on, on this topic. I'm here to listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for your comments. Um, uh, Sarah, let's talk about that. You know, as Tripp mentioned, you have this ability to go into a room, sit down with someone, ask those questions, and build their confidence in you and get the information that you need. How do you do that? It's a very good question, Tom. And to be honest with you, I don't know the answer to that. I do know that um, whenever I'm working with someone, I have this rule and it's the same rule that I give to myself when I decide to work with someone. And every day I have to create something for that client or that individual that I'm working with or team it doesn't matter that either checks one of three boxes and the boxes are educating them with a new idea. Okay. That can be inspirational or give them a new perspective um, often depending on the relationship, right? So whether or not they see me as an advisor at that point, it's going to play into whether or not that box is the one that I go for Two uh, opportunities to collaborate. So I will often look for opportunities to collaborate like how I am here on this stage today, um, but also, you know, working with other organizations or even collaborating with leaders, because a lot of times they're not limited to the to the day to day tasks that they're performing in their in their roles. And there's other things that they're interested in. And sometimes you can have ways to collaborate. And that's another way to gain trust and information. And the third is persuading them that they we will achieve results together. So a lot of it is this fear that they don't want to undertake something or waste their time or put their energy into something or money 
um, that isn't going to give them results, right? And so half the battle is just squashing that fear and letting them know that you have their back in a way. um, And that, you know, if mistakes are made or anything like that, that you're going to be open, honest, and reflective with them. And that's part of that psychological contract. So it really is just about making sure that you're open, um, that you are receptive, that um, you're not going in making any assumptions, right? I think as IOs, we can have all of this information and all of this education and schooling behind us, which is super gratifying. And it really does make you feel like you're standing on a solid foundation, which is fantastic because you are. Um, but not everybody's going to have that perspective of you when you first meet them. Um, and that's totally fine and totally normal. Um, and I think it's it's just about making sure that the relationship is trusted, yes, but that the information that you're coming to the table to present to them is relevant to their problem, number one. Number two, that you've worked with that information before. And if you haven't, you know, that you are going to pull in the right people to assist you in being successful. And then three, just making sure that at the end of the day, you are achieving something. Um, Jeremy and I talk about this all the time. I'm a very action oriented person. I love to sit down and talk about existential things and get really deep into the weeds and, and talk about, you know, pain and fear and angst and all of those things that affect our decisions. But at the end of the day, if we're not making a decisive action based on the things we're talking about, then why are we talking? And I think when you are maybe less direct at first, but then you kind of gradually build up that momentum toward decision making. Um, it can really give you a lot of clout um, because people will come to you as a motivator and also as an, a, a source of accountability. And you'd be surprised at how many leaders, they need a source of accountability. Um, and and it can actually be cathartic for them to have that outside of their own organization or that own, their own organizational chain, excuse me. So you're, you're building relationships and you're putting yourself in that position as a trusted comrade or collaborator. Absolutely. That's, I think at the end of the day, any people do business with people that they like and that they want to be around and that they can trust. And if that isn't your number one main focus, then I think you might be missing the mark. Um, It can come off as salesy or pitchy. And I understand like, sales and and pitching and a lot of that, it's a huge part of consulting. Any consultant in this room right now will tell you that is a huge part of what we have to do. We have to be able to market ourselves and we have to have a certain level of, um, there's a certain level of repetitiveness in that task, but that doesn't mean that it becomes cold or that you are not speaking to your audience. You need to know who your audience is um, in order for things to resonate with them. And if you don't have that level of curiosity about them, then the relationship's dead in the water. So I think it's about remaining curious and it's about giving them opportunities to shine and just proving to them that you are in their lives to make their lives easier and not more difficult. Thank you for that. Linda Ann, you have your hand up. I do. Um, in, in response to what, what Sarah was saying there, and she's been talking a lot about, you know, asking the right questions. And I can't emphasize enough that it's so important to ask the right questions and just to have that natural curiosity because people love to talk about themselves and their business and you, they will uncover 
for you through you asking questions and them spilling their guts because they will if you keep asking the right questions um they will open the door for the opportunity for you to match your skills to one of their needs or many of their needs um and through that too when as far as sales, there's a really big difference between somewhat selling someone something and someone buying something. And you want them to buy something. You don't want them to feel sold. And you do that through making sure that they've given you the information that you need to be able to address what they've identified as real needs. And they may not actually be their needs but it's what they perceive as their need at the time and perception is reality you know so you have to start where they're ready to start thank you very much for that uh jeremy i want to come to you and ask you a question um in regarding young ios uh, but before we go there do you want to mention the forums that have been created yes and i'm walking back to my desk so you might hear some background noise uh, yeah, so the forms have been created, and they're a little bit of a good, they're almost a complete ghost town right now, because we haven't done any um, any campaigns to, to get the word out. Uh, that's next. But the forums are available, sebocom cboc.com. Uh, they're available. Uh, it doesn't cost anything to get into them. You just sign into the website, and boom, you're in. And the topics, I want to go to the topics real quick, um, just to, to share what the topics are. If anyone wants any topics added, feel free to let me know and we'll make sure that we get those up. I'm just trying to log into the site here. Also, if anyone makes a post in there, a question, uh, feel free, you can share it on, you can share it on LinkedIn, you can share it on social media. And also if you want it shared on, uh, through, this, through the CBOC company page on LinkedIn, for that reach. And then I'm sure other people will share it after that. That way we can get more and more people uh, to help and be in involved in the discussion that you start. So right now we've got general discussion forum, uh, general networking forum, and these are very specific. So um, kind of like the, uh, the old school message boards, very specific. They look great though. Um, we have networking for your job search. We've got, the IO psych branding problem, breaking imposter syndrome, defining your niche, gaining business acumen, questions IOs should ask with a picture of a beautiful, beautiful owl, I might add, as I'm looking at it. Digital transformation and owning your interview. And of course, if there are any topics, you can just um, you know fill in the contact form and say, hey, we want you guys to add this topic and we'll be We'll be glad to do so. So the forms are open and available. You can also click on members. I think there's like 150 uh, people. I'm sure that you'll see some familiar names. And you can tag people in your questions too. You can tag other IOs, other people um, specifically for your questions. And there's also one last thing. When, you, when you're on the forum forms page, if you scroll to the bottom, there's an app associated with it. So you can find out how to get that the app. And there's a code for the app so you can just have it on your phone and, and engage in the discussions that way um tom i mentioned the forums and i'm going to throw it back to you because i think you had something else in mind or another direction to go <laughs> i sure do uh and of course you know follow the speakers on the stage 
uh, subscribe to the room and spread the word. Uh, we'd like to see more and more people gather in this room and share this knowledge. Uh, Jeremy, my question to you is we have a lot of younger IOs, people who are maybe still studying or just starting their careers. With all the discussion we've had today, can you take yourself back to when you were one of those people, you know, freshly minted, out of university, you're now sitting in a chair across from a decision maker? You know, what happened? How did you handle that? And what have you learned over, over this period of time that, you know, you've expanded and grown your career? But take us back to where it started. Oh, boy. Um, I, you know, as of, so this was, so we're, we're going back a number of years. And when my career path has always been a little different. Um, I've always, you know, either worked for myself or, or owned a business with the exception of three and a half to four years working actually in corporate. Um, so my experience was actually, I think, I think I had a more positive experience earlier on because with the consulting and in, in, in the area that I was at, I lived in Boston. I had really positive experiences consulting in the beginning. This is when I had a, my, a master's degree in uh, uh, organization management before I got my, my PhD in IO. And I had a really, I had really good experiences because I noticed right away that talking, that sitting down and talking with executive directors and CEOs of, of medical companies and whatnot, that there was such a need, and that they will spill their, they'll spill their guts to you once they, once you become a, a trusted advisor to them, uh, and if you do things the right way, if your communication skills are up to par, and you can get that trust right away and start to learn how to use perspective taking to do that and really be there with the end goal of making it so that their next day is better than, than their today and helping them solve real problems and being able to ask them the question, you know, you're having, you're having these difficulties with X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go talk to your employees. What, what happens if I come back and it turns out that you're part of the problem? How honest do you want me to be? And I'll say, I want you to be honest. And then you say, how brutally, you know, can I be brutally honest? They think on it for seven seconds and then they eventually say yes. But you can identify things where they think something's the problem. And you go and you find out that, in fact, whatever problem that they thought they needed to solve, it was actually something entirely different. And it's harder to do that when you're an internal IO because you've got company politics. You've got egos. You have these uh, you have different different kinds of barriers. So uh, just to give one example of, um, you know, it, again, I, I love these, these just one-off easy examples. The, uh, I was working with the, the uh, was director at the time of a, who eventually became CEO of this, of a medical research company. They did, they did sleep studies and he was having problems with his staff, just to put it, uh, plainly. He thought that he was a great boss rolling up his sleeves, going in there and helping out. And he couldn't understand why everyone was kind of pushing back on him. So after talking to the employees, it turns out that while he thought he was a great boss rolling up his sleeves, they saw him as a micromanager because they'd be in there drawing blood for a, a patient and, take, and trying to run analysis. And he'd be in there, you know, rolling up his sleeves, trying to help. So he thought he was trying to help. They thought that he, they, their perception was he didn't trust them and that he was looking over their shoulder to make sure they didn't make any mistakes. So that 
was now something, a completely different perspective and a completely a different problem to solve. And there were some other things too, but we can go in. So I had positive experiences, but then, then I, then once I got into corporate, my experience was completely different. And I'm not saying to do this, but my way of circumventing that was to do things, do great things, make them happen. And uh, once they were done, tell everyone, hey, by the way, this was done. Here's the result. Isn't it great? So I kind of would do things under the radar, not suggesting people do that, but it's, it's, it's a, sometimes a way to, to make things to make things happen um, as a new as a new IO, those are things, but that's where your communication comes in. That's where your negotiation, your persuasion, your ability to influence others. And as Sarah said, ask good questions. Be, you know, when you, when you walk into a meeting or when you're trying to think of how you can help the organization or people, just be curious. You write that word down on a, on a post-it note. Be curious and just be very curious with the questions that you ask. That will help in your ability to use uh, empathy and engage in very specific, very specific um, questions. Very specific questions. I just lost my train of thought. Tom, back to you. <laughs> well, I want with what you said. I want to throw this to everyone on the stage because my question, while you were you know describing that, I think it's great advice and information. Is that ta taught in university? You know, those communication skills are how to, you know, win and influence people. Is that part of the training that IOs get while they're getting their IO training? Or is that something they need to seek outside of the university? I would love for... Tom, is my mic on? Yes, it is. Yes? Okay, it's showing differently. I would love for someone... Uh, down at the bottom who's not yet made a speaker if you would like to speak to this please raise your hand would love to have your take on this my take on this after talking to so many ios and recognizing this is that no it's definitely not taught in university it's one of the major complaints that ios have is that they learn the research they learn the science but they're never properly introduced into the workforce they're not properly introduced of how to apply. You know, we all take your, we, we all take our applied statistics classes, but unless you take some kind of an elective added paid course that you search out for, you're not going to get corporate consulting. You're not going to understand. And in terms of the communication aspect, now that I bring it back to your specific question, that communication aspect of the, you know, the types of questions to ask, how to engage negotiation and how to persuade and influence. I mean, I know from my experience that none of this was talked about, covered. Uh, we had great programs. They taught us how to be great researchers. They taught us how to write up um, great research. They taught us how to apply it case study wise. But many of us, if not all of us, were never taught how to interact with others in an organization that might be able to use what we can provide. And I'll turn it back over to you, Tom, to, uh, for other comments. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. And Austin, Theo, and Joseph, thank you very much for joining us here on the stage. Theo, you've got your hand up. Why don't you go first? Uh, hey there, everyone. Can you hear me? We can. Go ahead. All right. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, you know, I could definitely relate to a lot of what Jeremy said about, uh, you know, working differently in the 
getting different reactions in terms of the corporate um, environment, working internally as a consultant, and then doing outside consulting. Uh, I've done a little bit of outside consulting. Uh, I'm currently working internally for an organization. And it's two very different experiences that I've had. Um, so I think, uh, you know, Jeremy, a lot of people can probably relate to, to what you're saying if they've, if they've had those experiences. Um, and it's very much true uh, for me. Uh, but in terms of the, uh, you know, what I've been taught in school, I think that there is a lack of uh, learning the corporate politics and how to, how to manage a conversation with different peoples at different level. Uh, you know, I, I, I come from a blue collar family, so nobody's ever worked in a corporate kind of environment. So moving into the corporate world was very new to me and understanding that, you know, depending on where you're at in an organization or the organization you're with, some are a little bit more laxed than others. So uh, it, it, it's proven to be difficult at times, especially as an internal consultant, uh, to kind of find my way around to figure out, okay, who who do I need to speak to exactly to share findings with, right? Going back to what uh, those seven groups to share findings are. Uh, whereas as an outside consultant, it's I feel like it's easier to almost communicate with someone because that the corporate politics are now pushed away um, and I'm speaking to a decision maker, right? Somebody has now reached out to me. Um, we've, we've kind of agreed on like, you know, they have an issue and they're looking for me to help solve that issue. Uh, and so it feels like we're on more even ground at that point. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I definitely wish I would have had more uh, training in terms of understanding how to use uh, persuasion skills and uh, kind of sell myself and, and my, my knowledge in a way that's um, you know, seen as beneficial as a, for an internal consultant role. Thank you very much for that. Uh, Austin, uh, go ahead. What was your experience like in, in university? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say pretty much the same. It's, it's a lot of hard, you know, theories, a lot of processes and uh, all of that. But when it gets down to it, the, the actual, you know, consulting skills, the actual ability to talk with people and have that kind of subtlety uh, in the way that you phrase things and um, the tone of voice that you use, um, it, I mean, it's just, it's just not really touched on in the programs that we have. Um, in my experience, it was during my internship. It was during a lot of the, um, like pro bono consulting work I did with like nonprofits that I started to develop that kind of, uh, mindset and that kind of approach to when I talk to people, I know what kind of questions to ask. I know how to ask them and I'm not focused on, you know, what the theory is behind them. I'm kind of just focused on, you know, you know, remaining personable, um, you know, polite and, and things like that. And so I, I do think there is that gap in, in most programs. And I know that with my program at VSU, they've recently done a consulting course. So I think they are starting to get to that point where they need to start teaching uh, those kind of soft skills. But for me, it was definitely missing and I had to, to pick it up along the way. And you got a great voice, so it sounds like you did well. <laughs> Joseph, <laughs> Joseph, let's go to you first, and then Sarah will get to you. Thank you, thank you, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, so, yeah, just to lend my voice to this, um, the program that I went to, which is uh, in New Haven, Connecticut, was a very applied program, and something that I wish more schools would do um, is, is kind of the way they, they did their curriculum. So 
for example, my stats class would teach us how to do T-tests and ANOVAs and all these things. They'd spend half the class teaching us until we we're all like, okay, yeah, we, we kind of know what we're doing. And then the teacher would say, okay, well, 90% of the people you talk to aren't going to get any of the words that you just said <laughs> or that you were just taught. This is how you talk to people about XYZ in a business setting. So we start basics, mean, median, and mode. We all know what those are. Well, don't say that in the conversation because you'll start to lose people. Use these words instead. So I felt like that foundation that I got has helped me succeed in my short career so far. Um, but I also, I feel like I leveraged my training development background. And something, if, if, if you're in that industry or you have that experience, you've probably heard the term, when you're talking or you're training people, you got to kind of say it at a fifth or sixth grade reading level. Don't talk like, you know, you're an expert and, you know, you get all these cool things you got to say because usually the person that, or your audience doesn't know the topic. So I use the term dumb down, but it doesn't mean that people are intelligent. It means you have to talk to them at their level. And I try to say this to the data scientists I work at, work with at CVS all the time of, you know, we know that you guys are really smart, but we don't understand exactly what you're trying to say. So this is definitely an IO issue, but it's also a greater issue of people just need to understand how to talk to each other, not at five degrees, you know, at their expert level. Thank you very much for that, Joseph. And, and yeah, I agree. I think it should be taught more in programs. Uh, Sarah, then we'll go to Jeremy. And then Tripp, I want to bring you back in here and talk about bridging the gaps in this knowledge. Uh, so Sarah, go ahead. I just wanted to share something a little bit silly, if that's okay, Tom. So um, I'm a mom. And when I became an outside consultant, I lost my first gig. And the reason I lost it was because I was doing exactly what we were just talking about or what Joseph was mentioning, where I was speaking over the head of the person that I was working with. And I didn't realize I was doing it at the time. And he sat me down and he's an older gentleman. He sat me down over a cup of coffee and he said, Sarah, you're brilliant. He said, but um, we're just not going to, we're just not going to do this. And I was like, well, can you tell me, can I have some feedback? What, you know, exactly why? And he said that I came off too cerebral, that I wasn't going to be able to articulate the information and what have you. And it was then that I also, I have a background in training. So I used to train geospatial technical trainers for the U S army. And because it was technical training and because it was in an army environment, it was a little bit more uh, formal. And, you know, I would have a, a two-star walk through my class occasionally. So I always had to be uh, on, on my toes. I always had to make sure that I was presenting in a way that, you know, the army would be proud of. And so it did kind of skew the way I addressed people or I addressed a room. But I got back to the mom thing. I'm sorry, I'm circling back. But when I became an outside consultant, I thought to myself, do I want to work in corporate America? And the answer for me was a hard no. And I thought, well, I want to be an advisor. And the image of Jafar, if anyone has ever seen Aladdin, um, the image of Jafar came into my mind. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know that I want to be that kind of advisor because he had so much power and he misused it. And so I always ask myself, Am I being Jafar today with my client? Am I talking over their heads? Am I looking at my own personal gain? Or am I trying to really nurture this relationship 
and, and be a trusted advisor? Or am I being Jafar? Because we all have bad days. We all have bad days where we get tired or where we're not doing the right thing, or maybe we act a little selfishly. We're all human, right? And so I always like to say to people who are wanting to get into external consulting to keep Jafar in the back of your mind and kind of ask yourself, check in frequently. Are you being him? Are you toting yourself? Are you toting your business? Or are you toting solutions that are tailored to others? And honestly, I think that's super valuable. And what Austin was saying about working with nonprofits, I honestly think that every IO should work with a nonprofit, regardless of whether they're an internal or an external consultant. Because when you are in service of something that you believe in greatly, the real you comes out. And you'll learn how to communicate in that specific way and that authentic voice. And that really is the key when you're making new business relationships. That's all I had to say, Tom. Thanks. Thank you. Jeremy. Thank you. And just a reminder for everyone, if your hand is raised, just to make it easier on Tom, uh, if your hand is raised and you don't want it raised, uh, if you're up top, make sure you put your hand down if you have the ability to do that. And I'm going to throw a question. I'm going to give Sarah a little bit of time to think about this. So Sarah, my question would be, because I looked up, of course, Jafar real quick and what, wow, what a character. Who would be your verses? So think about that and um, let us let us know soon. Who would, Do you want to be Jafar or do you want to be you know, XYZ? So who, who would be our, our verses in that? I wanted to share quick a couple um, I just I just went over. I I print out articles and I read them and I highly I just like feeling them. Some people just like to use their their PDF. Here, think think of what are you passionate about? What topic in the workplace are you passionate about? What's your big drive? For some, it might be just looking at the audience. It might be engagement. It might be organizational network analysis. It might be um, turnover. Uh, um, whatever maybe right. We have tons of ideas. I'm going to read off a couple titles of these, these articles that I printed out. When you replace the keywords with whatever you're passionate about, you can see how let's get back to, you know, let's get back to looking at some of the research and building that in. <clears throat> Tom and I were doing work on um, virtual remote teams. And here are some of the titles, some of the articles I printed out so that him and I could work on something. Uh, building and nurturing trust among members and virtual project teams. Good study. Distance makes the heart grow fonder. An examination of teleworkers and office workers' job satisfaction through the lens of self-determination theory. It's a mouthful. Good article. Lots of meat. Lots of meat in there. Lots of meat in the literature review where they're looking at other research, too. Um, th this made me think of what Linda Ann said about perception. So we have virtual team leader communication, employee perception, and organizational reality. A quick tip, if you're looking at research, uh, look at perceived. So oftentimes when we look at the psych research for organizations, we often want to look for put perceived in front, like organizational justice. It's usually studied as perceived organizational justice. That's usually what's, because uh, we look at how, you know, how do you build and how do you define a construct? And it's often very hard. So keep in mind that word perceived when you're doing your searches. Here are some of the things that get that got me excited. So you guys know I work with people on communication, with negotiation, with persuasion and influence. Uh, here are some of the, the studies that I've printed out and that I've been sifting through. I get giddy over this stuff. Workplace persuasion, conceptual model, development and validation, humor and negotiations, 
pragmatic analysis of humor and simulated negotiations. I love this one, breaking the bonds of reciprocity and negotiations. Reciprocity is so huge and our feeling of reciprocity can often put us in a bind. So I love that one. Lose with the truth, predicting deception and negotiation. And that's good, keeping ourselves from being taken advantage of. Multi-party e-negotiations, agents, alliances, and negotiation success. So, you know, doing things remotely and dealing with multiple stakeholders. Ups and downs, emotional dynamics and negotiations and their effects on equity. These are all, some of them may be a mouthful, some of them aren't. But when you look into the nuts and bolts and you learn how to just quickly digest information and pick out the information, um, when you look at the conclusion, when you look at the discussion, when you pick out a little bit of the data, read some of the literature review, you can usually sift through these articles really quick and find out if they're for you or not. And then once you start to find, you know, study, you know, this study result and this study result, it gets really exciting because these not only help us to either validate something or learn something new, but it also provides us with the spark and fire of ideas of how do we solve a problem. And if, if you are, you determine that you're the kind of person that really loves doing this, you become a great problem solver. It increases your ability to be, to be a critical thinker. Whether or not you even use any of this, it, it helps you become a more critical thinker. And some of you may, I do it for A, interventions, but the majority of the time I'm doing this really just to continue to educate myself so that I can create best practices. And so that I can be educated more. So if, you, if you're not in a position to be in an organization, still go, go to your, uh, I guess it's ResearchGate, go to Google Scholar, go to your university library, um, or your, if you're an alumni, uh, go to, I think it's academia.edu. There's places where you can get free articles and use them just for self-education to continue to stay up to date on the latest research tips and tricks in your field. Uh, over to you, Tom. Well, thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, Sarah, Jafar, or who should I really be? Well, I don't know who you should be, Tom, but I know exactly <laughs> who I would want to be. I would want to be Jiminy Cricket. And the reason I would want to be Jiminy Cricket is because he started out giving the wrong advice. And he learned very quickly that it's more about helping the other person to live out their potential uh, rather than trying to operate by the book or, uh, you know, not tailoring the experience, if you will. And um, yeah, so Jiminy Cricket, through and through, 100% value driven. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, thank you. But yeah, that's, I think that's who I would want to be. I always say that if I'm not having fun, I don't want to do it anymore too. That's another big thing for me. If I'm not having fun, then I don't want to waste my time doing it because I, uh, I'm only on this earth for a short time and uh, I want to make sure that I am helping others to reach out their full potential. And I know that all sounds existential and very cerebral and, and not very pragmatic, but at the end of the day, it is incredibly pragmatic because when people are operating uh, in their own nature and aligned with their core values, they're more productive. They contribute more to the team, to society as a whole and relationships are just more rich. And that's all, that's what every single person wants at the end of the day, out of work, out of their community, and out of social interaction and involvement. And 
if I can be a catalyst to that in any way, sign me up. I think Tom is frozen or your mic is off. Which one? Oh, let me try that again. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you for that, Sarah. Uh, Joseph, I'll get to you in a moment. But Trip, I want to bring this back to you because, you know, no surprise, there's an education gap in what we learn in university and what we need for the real world. So what are what's missing in the formula that IOs can go out and search and get to build their toolbox? Great question, Tom. I, I'm going to go opposite of what everyone thinks you do and, and say, I, I have two observations of the room. One is find bigger clients. <laughs> because I think part of what you're dealing with a lot of times is people are willing to settle for what they get, not what they should have. And also be more aware of the kind of people you work well with and how that relationship works. Um, I, I think the other thing I'd say to you, since I've taught it like five different disciplines at the graduate level, is none of the programs really teach you what you guys are looking for. So consider yourselves immediately anointed as being competent. <laughs> because I think one of the things I'm hearing is, and, it, and we've had this discussion in this room before, is a, a general lack of competence at times that you really need to say to yourself, everybody's in a similar situation to you. And then you have to make a decision. Are you going to be the victim or not? I think right now in particular, uh, I was brought up in a, in a theory that said people are looking for leadership. And so I probably have a different style of doing things. Most of my career, I, that happened at 22 and it didn't change in 40 years. It hasn't changed much. But part of that was also learning. Like in my case, I work really well with very smart people who are very uh, able to get things done and are willing to take action massively. Find your secret DNA of what you work best with. But the other part of this is you're never going to have a clear course. So one of the things you want to say to yourself is what's that ideal situation look like? Uh, you know, and when you look at that, the other is, and I see this happen a lot, very talented people working with very untalented clients. See, I can say that because I know my clients are going to still keep me around after 30 years, even if I say that in a public forum. But a lot of what we're talking about in this room today, is, it seems to me that we need to be willing to play a bigger game. And I think if we play that bigger game, uh, there's a lot more risk involved in that bigger game. But there's a hell of a lot more reward if you get it. And it also gets you a reputation of being somebody that can be counted on. Uh, you know, I've been blessed enough to have some very famous clients uh, at very high levels of organizations. And I think one reason is because I have opinions, which is contrarian to everything you read in every book. It tells you, hey, you've got to get to know them. What they find in studies is people who build strong relations with clients don't typically have them very long. People who are willing to be deliberatively uh, contrarian to make their clients think differently tend to have their clients a long time. Now, my average client tenure is 30 years, so I can say this, right? <laughs> Uh, and it's not always how you get your clients, but I, I, I suggest to everybody in this room, because there's some great minds in this room, and, and I, I just get this odd feeling, uh, my intuition tells me, now it's not validated, but it's an intuition, and it's based on 17,000 interviews over a career. Uh, I think the other thing is you're not aiming high enough or aiming for the kind of companies who are going to give you the kind of challenges you want, even if you have to be running at 70 miles an hour to catch up with some of your clients. I think you're better off than trying to walk like a, slowly with them and try to gain momentum and convince and persuade. So my answer, a long answer is always, but 
you guys have got to reach higher. It just seems to me you're so underestimating the impact you can have on organizations that you're missing those opportunities to change the world. And that would be something I, I think a lot of people do in this field. And I, I say this having been in the field for almost 40 years now. Uh, you have to pick bigger clients. You have to find opportunities. Even when there are problems, you learn and, 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 and sell that. Tell people, look, I'm one of those people who can get things done. Because that's what really uh, concerns me a little bit about trying to pace ourselves into a career like this when the world is moving at warp speed and you're moving at the speed of 60 miles an hour, there's no way you're going to possibly connect or converge. So just something to consider. And thank you very much for that trip. Uh, Jeremy, we are at the top of the hour. Uh, are we good to go for a few more minutes? We are. I might have to jump off, um, but I'll let you go ahead and continue. Oh, thank you very much, Jeremy. Uh, let's continue. Joseph, you have your hand up. Thank you, Tom. Um, I just wanted to kind of lend my voice and, and share that challenge that was given um, first, because Sarah called out my favorite Disney character of all time, which almost never happens. Um, it got me thinking when you asked that question, and, and I 100% agree with her, her choice of Jiminy Cricket. But I would also say, um, to use the same movie, the genie is kind of who I would strive to be, right? The genie has all this power, right? Like we have all this knowledge that can help people. And Aladdin was kind of his client, right? And, you know, wh what do you want as the client? And, you know, the client wanted, right? Uh, Aladdin wanted Jasmine, right? He, he wanted to impress her. And ultimately he was like, hey, I can make that happen. I can make you a prince. But throughout the movie, he was kind of that trusted advisor, um, the genie, you know, as that positive instance to say, hey, you know, I know this is what you want, but like, you really got to be yourself and you'll get what you want, right? You got to trust back in yourself. So I would say the genie is kind of the counter to Jafar in the sense that he's that positive advisor that he can make it happen, but only if the client, you know, the client believes in themselves. So, and I find that as internal and external uh, IO psychologists, we face that a lot. Thank you very much for that, Joseph. Uh, Angelo, you've been on the stage for a while. I haven't heard from you yet. Just sort of wondering what thoughts or reflections you've had during the discussion. Thank you. Yeah, I had a few. I think there's not too much that hasn't been said already. I feel like there's, you know, a pretty strong framework for, or a loosely loose framework for presenting research results to people. And I think it starts with what everyone here has mentioned, right? Understanding your audience, understanding who you're talking to, and really going with some open-ended questions and using some of those qualitative skills to really determine what are the underlying goals that they're trying to trying to achieve and clarifying that you're using the same definitions, you're using the same terms when you're identifying those goals, right? And then work with your audience to, you know, identify their expected outcomes, you know, so we have goals that we want to achieve, but what are the outcomes related to those, whether it be uh, performance metrics or um, retention or um, whatever the goal may be, but be specific, you know, be specific in your presentation. So after you've done some research, after you've gathered that information is be specific with your feedback, but don't go too high level, right? I think that happens. Um, it's our, as our part, we should be able to kind of summarize some of that information and draw them in because if they have more questions, they're going to, they'll be happy to ask them. 
um, and use, you know, both quantitative methods and qualitative. But I've found that, you know, when you're presenting um, qualitative information, pair it with something quantitative. So if you're asking, hey, or if you're stating something like employee engagement and well-being increases productivity, you know, use use a percentage that shows that, hey, here's how it's applied, right? Because they may not really care about employee engagement. They may more care about the productivity measure. So again, going back to some of those identified goals, um, making sure that it's a value-added service and you're providing realistic action items that can be achieved related to that information. And never help, it never hurts to have some proof of concepts, you know, so using some of that research or previous clients or someone else. Angela, I'd, lo- I'd love to ask you, because you mentioned doing presentations, and, and one of the things I love coaching people on is when you're doing a presentation, to actually look at the audience and see how they're reacting, because that can sway what you say next. How important is, is the reading of the audience when you're giving a presentation? It's pretty, yeah, it's, it's mostly important, I would say. I don't know how to actually word that, but so I use, I like to use a a variety of dis- different disciplines and models when kind of taking all of this in. And one of the things that I go back to is just organizational change or motivational change. Um, really, you know, listening to what's being said and also what's not being said. If there's some some elephants in the room, bring them up and notice people's reactions. And, you know, positive or negative, those, those response and reactions are really just an underlying cue that this means something there is some value whether positive or negative um when you hit on some of those um some of those items yeah taking into account how they're responding either positively or negatively and then not just going straight to the positive trying to pull people along and say hey um i noticed a reaction there must be something more attached to that let's you know provide those open-ended questions to explore those a little bit more thank you very much for that uh Linda, I want to come to you next because I want to get your views on the education gap. What is it that IOs are not getting in university? Maybe they can't get it in university with, with the time crunch, but what's missing that they either need to find in their program or once they graduate? Wow, you're really putting me to the test today here, Tom. Um, you know, I think that I, I don't have a really good answer for that because I haven't been an IO. I just think that um, I don't have a good answer for you. I- <laughs> <laughs> that's that's okay. Um, let's let's move it a little bit because we you know, we're we're seven minutes over time now. Any final thoughts on our discussion today? And then I want to sort of take that around the stage. I, I can. I'll just make a final comment there. You know, one of the one of the great stories I've I've heard. Um, told in helping people, um, you know, kind of gain a little bit of confidence or find their way when they're trying to put their services out there and and, um, expect people to pay for them is a story about, you know, someone saw um, uh, Da Vinci or whomever, you know, drawing, sketching in in a square. And they asked them to do a sketch of, of themselves, and which he did. And he said, that's $10,000, please. And she said, but it takes five, 15 minutes for you to do that. And he's like, no, ma'am, that took me 30 years. 
because it's the accumulation of your experience that makes you valuable and it's not just your education so i think if you reflect a little bit about really all the experiences that you've had that you bring to that table um it's not just the four years or six years you've been spent in school you bring a whole lot more than you really give yourself credit for when you go to that table Thank you very much for that. Uh, Trip. final thoughts? Yeah, one of my thoughts, final thoughts is commit to mutual value. You know, we heard that all throughout today's conversation. What's the mutual value you create with the person you're working with? And then commit to that and commit to make sure that happens for them. And the other thought, the final thought I had would be make them the hero. Uh, there is no to in consulting or, or coach organizational consulting. There is no applause many times in what we do. So we have to find our own applause. But, but one of the things we can do, if we can't get applause, is we can commit to make sure our, our, the people we choose to work with are successful. Thank you, Tripp. I think that's great advice, and I think that's a great place to end the room today. So thank you very much for coming. Uh, Tripp, Linda, Ann, always great to see you on stage. Joseph and Angelo, it was wonderful to have you guys up here today. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you in one week. All right, thanks very much, everybody. It's been a pleasure, and I'm now going to close the room. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at Seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com.